right. Well, welcome to church, everybody. Thank you, Amy, for that. That was awesome. A lot going on today. Um, yeah, welcome to church COVID style, right? Got our masks on. I am a little out of sorts this morning. It's been a busy week at the Temple household um, between ministry and family, and my voice is a bit shot um, because of it. You know, my son is heavily involved with football. Some of you know that. He's the little guy that's not here right now because he's extremely tired too. Um, he had a pretty busy football week. And, and, um, but he's usually the little man here twirling the ball around at the end of service. And dad gets a little excited when he plays. You know, I'm not going to lie. I am that dad. I am that dad hanging out in the crowd yelling like a fool. As my son, he's, he's pretty good and he scores touchdowns. And I, I don't know, just seems natural, you know, to, to yell my head off. Plus, we've been... Uh, praying together as a leadership team. I've been singing a lot in the house of prayer, so bear with me. My voice is shot. Anyways, well, I, I could go in several directions this morning. That's kind of what happens, I think, when you are in a prophetic community. Sometimes the plan, you know, isn't the plan. You know, you, you got your notes, but sometimes the Lord speaks some different things to you, and we were praying today, and I'm not sure if I should just stay true to what we have prepared for service today or to head into a quick exhortation about some of the things that I believe the Lord was speaking to us in prayer. Um, and I, I, you know, even if I did, I, I believe it would be brief anyways, um, but I don't want it to be sloppy. You know, sometimes um, when you try to practically roll out the things that God is doing in your heart spiritually, it can get a little messy because you felt it in the moment, you know. You're, like, you're, in, you're in there, you're praying, and you so just feel it, you feel the conviction of it, and then you go try to articulate it, and it just, it just falls on deaf ears, you know. And I've, I've had those experiences before, but it's about faith, and I'll shoot for it a little bit. And we'll navigate through it and just see how it goes. And if I feel like it gets a little uh, confusing maybe, as sometimes I can be, uh, we'll get right back into today's sermon um, but I, I was thinking about faith and, 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 and particularly the way in which we saw people's faith in the Gospels. Um, you know, if you're aware of uh, the stories of Jesus and how um, some of the more uh, profound and miracles, the wonders and the signs that happen in his ministry, it, it seemed to be really, really, not in all cases, but most cases, uh, directly connected to people's faith. So now let me give you an example. Um, the woman with the blood issue, right? If you're not familiar, there was a woman who was in a crowd that kind of Jesus was walking to. You know, he's a pretty well-known influencer. He comes, he steps in into the scene. A lot of people start gathering. It's just, it's just what Jesus does, right? He just, he, people want to gather to him. He, they want to hear him speak. They want to, they want to be uh, ministered and prayed for by Jesus. And so he's in this moment in his ministry where people just love Jesus. They just love to be around him. They just, they can't get enough. The rumor, uh, you know, spreads that he's in town. And before you know it, he's got a couple hundred, if not a thousand people just gathered around for him, uh, around him. And he's walking through the streets one day. And this woman uh, with an issue of blood, the Bible really doesn't give us the details of what that issue was. But, um, you know, she reaches out to Jesus. And I imagine, wow, how awkward would that be when you got, uh, you know, a couple hundred, if not a thousand people around you just 
suddenly as you're walking through a crowd, this woman just tries with all her energy and effort to just touch just a piece of Jesus's garment, right? And, you know, I'm sure, I'm almost positive that before this happened, Jesus probably didn't have a clue, right? I mean, he probably didn't know that today somebody would have touched his garment and simply by her faith and her touch that she would be healed. I'm sure he was quite clueless into the moment the exchange happened. And why is this important to us? Well, I think it's important to us because the woman didn't wait for something to happen. You know, she didn't wait for the right set of circumstances. She didn't wait, you know, to get Jesus when he was down at at a table eating dinner with some friends or when he's sitting on the mountain, you know, giving his sermon. She didn't wait. In the moment of probably confusion and busyness, she just reached with all her effort and with all her energy. And and she she reaches for Jesus' garment. And what happens? She's healed. She's healed. And I can't help but think that we have a bit of a dilemma in the church today. We, we have it so good in the West, don't we, when it comes to church? Man, if the lighting ain't right, if the paint ain't right, if the pictures are a little bit awkward on the walls, dim them, spruce it up, touch it up, man. We can go a lot with what we have in the West, with our sound and our excellence and our musicianship and everything we got. Man, we can just fake it until we make it. I used to love that statement up until... I hit about 40, and then I was like, that really doesn't make sense. I don't want to fake things. I want to have faith for things. I want to have faith for things, guys. And my kind of warning to you and to me is to stop waiting for things to happen in order for Jesus to move, come with a sense of expectation that when we gather in faith, Jesus is going to do something extraordinary. Sometimes we're just waiting right for the band to hit that right note and the music, man, if they, oh, it's getting there, it's getting there. I just may stand for this song. I just may sing. I just may act as if I'm remotely interested if they just get it right. How many know that's not the way it's meant to be? We're not not a people who just wait for the right moment. This woman just didn't wait for the right moment. She moved at Jesus with faith, probably not even knowing if Jesus uh, felt anything or, or remotely was moved by anything. She, in faith, reached out to Christ, and there was her healing. She's not the only one. There are many in the Gospels where it seemed to be Jesus would visibly do nothing if people were not in faith. Jesus would not perform miracles. He would would not do some of the most extraordinary things that he did in his ministry if the people lacked faith in him, a faith that he can do. Friends, what do you have faith for today? What do you have need of today? I would just strongly recommend That whatever you have need for, whatever you have need for Jesus to do in your life, have faith for it. I'm not trying to come off as some kind of prosperity faith teacher. 
But it's undeniable in the scriptures, especially the gospel, that Jesus moved with miracles when people were in faith. There were rare moments, rare moments when the opposite was true. But for the most part, he did things when people had faith. Friends, what do you have faith for today? What do you have need for? And if you have need for something, what do you have faith? Do you have faith for that need? And I just, I want to, I want to, I want to get free from some of the hype in our church where, where we just come and be like, well, may, you know, maybe I'll really get into it. You know, if, if everything is just right, if Daryl preaches the right sermon, I may clap. I may say amen. And you're like, what does that have to do with faith? Act interested. Maybe. Our dilemma is, is that if we're not necessarily acting interested in the things that God has called us to do, like the church, maybe God's not very all that much interested in us. I know that's hard, but sometimes I really think that way. I really think that way. You know, I look at Paul's circumstances. I'm going to go off on a bunny trail this morning. I know I am. God, help us. If you're visiting, I apologize. Um, but Welcome. Welcome. You know, I, I got into this little skirmish online. It wasn't big because I am not a anybody who anybody cares about. Like, I'm not going to, like, post something and people are like, oh, that's novel. Thousands of people are going to be like, this is so good. And, but, you know, every once in a while I get some haters. And, and I'm not going to necessarily talk about the thing that I posted, but I talked about essentially the sovereignty of God. And, and I thought about, you know, that... The, the, the idea that God does nothing outside of his sovereignty. Like, we can't bend his arm, right? We can't just like, you know, we can have hope, we can pray, but, it, you know, the, the, the decision is up to God, whether he does or what he does or if he does. It is up to God. And I started, this, this girl, she's a precious friend of mine. I love her. And she's like, well, what about Paul? You know, we got into this discourse. And she's like, you know, Paul wasn't necessarily you know, looking for that encounter that he had when he was on the road to Damascus, you know, on his horse. He wasn't, he wasn't looking for that. And, and, I, and, I, and to that point, I would say, yeah, but God was. <laughs> that just went over some of your heads. God was staging that. God was setting that up for Paul. And, and here, here's where I'll land, and here's where I'll, I'll just end this. We, we, we should pray and hope that God is as interested in us as he was in Paul, in his sovereignty to knock him off his high religious horse. We should pray and wholeheartedly desire that God would take such an interest in us to do the same. And I don't know about you, Man, when I want God's eyes upon me, I gotta start getting my eyes upon him. I have learned throughout the years that this is a 50-50 thing. I come halfway, he comes halfway. And we should be so lucky, so privileged, and so counted as blessed if God had any interest in anything that we did today. I believe he does, but I believe it's conditional. And it's based upon the interest that we first have in him, mainly faith. 
What are we expecting? And do we believe God can do what we are expecting? I believe it, God. So awkward. I know that's provocative because you're like, man, you know, what is this now? Like, I got to do something. This sounds like works. And if you don't think this faith calls you to works, if you don't think this thing calls you to take action, then you are in the wrong, you are on the wrong team, man. The Bible most surely calls us to action. It calls us to works, not for the sake of salvation. Salvation does not come by works. But man, once God has saved your heart, you better get out there and do his will, do his work. You better take action. This was God's dilemma in Revelation to the churches. The seven churches that he confronted, that Christ confronted, the words are in red. They were Jesus' words. The church had become lazy, complacent, indifferent. And what does God say to the church of Laodicea? You are neither hot nor cold. Get it right, church. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Those aren't pretty words. But they are in red. They are Christ's words. And I happen to think that Jesus in the West, over the church, screaming some of those same words today. We've become so comfortable. So, so just like whatever, man, it's just church. It's not just church. It's not just, it's not just a Sunday. It's not, it's so much bigger and grander and more beautiful than that. Man, once you start to let the Holy Spirit arrange some of your perspectives and and, and some of your mindset, your attitude begins to change about this thing the world calls the church. This thing that happens for about an hour and something minutes. Your pers- it's not just church anymore. It's a place where I go to receive from Jesus. It's a place that I go to receive that healing I need. That, that, that answer that I need for my marriage. No, no. It's, it's, it's not that you could just, it's not just, that's not just reduced to the church. Hear me. Don't get me caught up in that. And I just, I'll stay to where I felt most strongly in prayer today that just, we need to come to this thing with more expectation. You know, if, listen, if the church in the West falls apostate, let it. But this church, oh, by God's grace. Oh, my God's grace. You ask me. I don't know what's going on in my heart, but man, I am just wrecked by the simplicity of the gospel. It doesn't take me much anymore to get excited about Jesus. And I just have a desire that we as a body would get there. They wouldn't take much. Like, what if this all just went away? What if the, the lights and the decent music and the stream just went away? Could we still do it? Because there's a lot of people throughout the world doing a lot more with a lot less. 
And so that's my burden today. And that's why we're talking about the wonderful, the wonders of the cross. Because we need something more than just a charismatic fill of cheap cookie, cutting fortune cookie sayings, hashtags, to get us excited about our faith. And I don't know, I just have been wrecked by the cross and it has fueled me in ways that are profound that I never thought could, could, could excite me. I just had become so familiar and it just, I've heard it, I get it. Salvation, forgiveness, eternal life, I get it, but it's so much more than that. And it's meant to do something. It's meant to provoke something in your, in my heart that, that keeps us excited and full of faith for this journey we call salvation. Now, I already know that I've taken up a long time, so I will try by God's grace to, and again, forgive me, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm emotional. God is doing something in my heart. I, I, sorry. I'm not sorry that God's doing something in my heart, but I, I just, I don't want to manipulate anybody through my tears, but I can't help what's starting to swell in my heart through the last couple of months. And I'm grateful. So I, I hope that we can all connect to that greatness. And as a church... Um, enter into it. So Luke chapter 7, 36 through 48. I will be brief. I know our children become restless and I want to uh, respect that and honor that. I'm, I'm a parent and I get, I get it. <laughs> Time goes a little too long. Your son, your daughter's pulling at you. Hey dad, can we go? <laughs> Mom, can we get out of here? But um, basically the premise of today's sermon before I got sidetracked was a deep understanding, if I was to summarize it all in just a little hashtag of a truth, sorry, I think I just slammed that, but for the sake of time. Um, A deep understanding of God's grace will produce an even deeper love for God and people. Let me me say that again, A, a deeper understanding, a knowledge. It's not just like, oh, that was a nice touch of God's grace. It's something that your mind connects to, and it's something that your mind understands. I know that sometimes in the charismatic church, we're against knowledge, and we often, uh, you know, quote the vote, well, knowledge puffs up. Listen, in, in this respect, knowledge is good. Understanding God's grace, having a knowledge of his saving, atoning work is good, and it gives you a deeper love for him and a love for people. Now, The premise of this is out of Luke chapter 7, 36 through 48. And I'm going to read a couple verses, so hold on. And um, it's going to be long, probably longer than some of you are used to. But in in, in verse 36, we, we read about a Pharisee who welcomed Jesus into his home for a dinner. His name was Simon. And Jesus, he, he, um, he accepted the invitation and, um, you know, I'm, gonna paraphr- I'm just going to work through this a little bit quicker and we'll land maybe in a later verse. But uh, he accepted the invitation. He went to Simon's house. He's there for a meal. So sit with Simon. Really don't know why. The Bible doesn't explain. Mostly we see that the Pharisees and Jesus, well, they didn't get along all that well. But 
uh, there were some that seemed to be very interested and, and even moved by Jesus' ministry. And I imagine Simon was one of them. He was intrigued and most likely wanted to get to know Jesus a little more. And so he invited Jesus into his home for a dinner. Well, in the story later, I think around verse 38, a woman <laughs> is there. And, and, and we need to just separate this uh, from the story of Mary and Lazarus. Uh, this is not the same story. This is an altogether different story. Some similarities, but not the same. Uh, uh, this woman pops up on the scene, uninvited it looks like. And well, she has a bit of a reputation. Again, um, scholars, you know, they'll kind of guess, but it's not really known what is the breakdown and why she is known of a woman uh, who has, or who is sinful. Let's um, read verse 49, actually verse 38. So this woman was standing behind Jesus at this meal and she began to wet his feet with her tears. Talk about awkward. I mean, we're sitting down for dinner. She's starting to snot and cry all over the Messiah, the Son of God. He's just there for a dinner. He's just trying to get a meal in this Weird exchange, and of course, Jesus doesn't see it weird. He doesn't see it as awkward. He sees it as beautiful. But naturally and logically, there are some who do. And I have to think that if I was there, I would be one. And that would be misfortunate. But I probably would. She begins to cry and weep all over Jesus. And the Pharisee pipes up. Doesn't say anything. This is remarkable because the Pharisee doesn't verbalize anything. The Bible says that he thinks a thought. And this is the thought that he thinks, which is, which is ironic because Jesus is about to be a prophet to Simon. I'm getting ahead of myself. This exchange happens between Jesus and the woman. And in verse 39, we see this. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him, Jesus saw this, he said to himself, meaning they saw this woman doing this act, the Pharisee said to himself, if this man, Jesus, is a prophet, wow, geez, Simon, you're bold and brave, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Again, this is a thought Simon has. It's not something he's vocalizing at the dinner table. But he's pretty much saying, man, if this guy was truly a prophet, he would not let this woman do what she's doing. And Jesus is about ready to be prophetic with Simon. Jesus answered Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they, when they could not pay, he, the moneylender, canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him, the moneylender, more. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water. But she has wet my feet with her tears and have wiped them away with her hair. You gave me no kiss, Simon, but from the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss me. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. 
Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but, she, but he, excuse me, who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, at first glance, when we read the ending, you would think, well, Jesus is forgiving her sins because of her love. No, my friend, that is not the case. The woman is showing this extreme intensity of weeping and wiping and anointing Jesus because her sins have been forgiven. It's not the other way, and we need not to confuse it. It is a reaction to forgiveness. It is not the result. And, and, and can I say this? Simon's response to Jesus should have been similar. It should have been similar to the woman's. And to certainly not to the extent and kind of the extreme kind of posturing. Jesus called them out. He said, hey, listen, Simon, I came into your house. You didn't do what was a custom. Like, like if people invited you over their homes in ancient times, the things that Jesus lists off, like the kissing of his face, uh, the watering and washing of his feet and the anointing of his head, they, those would have been custom. Those, those would have, that would have been protocol. So, so Simon has neglected something that's not just a matter of being reverent and, 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 and honoring the Son of God, most likely because he's still figuring Jesus out, but he doesn't even do something that's a custom. He doesn't even do something that's protocol, that is standard. And Jesus calls him out. You know, my wife, she is a great host. If you've ever come over my house for dinner, if, I would, if it was up to me, <laughs> um, yeah, I would fail as a host. Like, I would get, like, McDonald's and, you know, try to spruce up the place a little bit, best I could. But we'd be, we'd be eating, um, you know, Big Macs and, 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 and French fries for dinner. And the conversation would probably be a little awkward because I'm not a good conversationalist. There's sometimes when God's spirit comes on me and I'm able to hold uh, together a, a good conversation, but I'm nothing like my wife who, who can serve love and really prepare the setting and the staging from decor to food to welcoming to uh, conversation. She can really set a beautiful setting. And, and you know what? This setting was not set by Simon. It was set by a sinful woman, a woman who had a terrible reputation but yet Simon's response didn't even come close and, and, and here's the thing and I, 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 I know I probably shouldn't even entered into talking and, and going into this sermon um, just for the sake of time but in, in honestly in the calendar there's not a lot to just pick up and do it next Sunday because um, it's, 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 it's Palm Sunday Right? I mean, who wants, you know, we're going to celebrate, you know, the resurrected Christ next Sunday and, and the Sunday after that on Easter. And so, but this, this, is, this is where I, I'll, this is what I'll say. And this is what I want to leave. And maybe we'll circle back after Easter. But our, our love for, for God flourishes most. When our, when our hearts have experienced the richness of God's grace, namely his forgiveness for sin. 
And I want, I want to say this, that if you feel as though your heart is dead, it's mostly and probably because of an ingratitude that you have about, about how Christ has extended his grace and his forgiveness to you. And so if you want your heart to come alive and, and you want lavishing, intense worship like this woman, I would encourage you to be like this woman who sins that were many, were forgiven. Be like her and don't be like Simon, who really probably didn't even see his need because, well, he's a Pharisee and he's a man of morality and seen by the community as such. But, but whenever you can't really see the depth of your depravity and the need for salvation, Man, the one thing that starts to get gummed up and affected by that is your worship of God. You, you don't know how to do it. You don't, you don't know how to you know, intensely give yourself in the, in the worship of God. And it's not just something that translates on Sunday morning. It's not just something that happens when you gather with other believers. It's something that you're probably most likely disinterested in doing on a Monday and on a Tuesday when you're alone as well. And I've found that whenever that happens to me, I've lost a preciousness. I've lost cherishing the cross. I've lost cherishing Jesus's atoning work and his forgiveness for my many sins. And this is what this time for us as a church is. This is what I was hoping to accomplish, is to get us redirected, so to speak, and our eyes back focused on the central theme of the gospel, the cross. What more is there to be excited about? What more is there to sing songs unending about? To preach sermons uh, forever about? To get excited? To lift your hands about? There's nothing to me that is more exciting than that. You see, friends, I've gotten to a place where I don't need the good music. I've gotten to the place where I can shout somebody down whom I might be at the time uninterested in hearing preach. <laughs> but I've gotten so excited about Jesus. I'm not looking at the man. I'm not looking at the team and the lights. I'm looking at Christ and his work that he's done for me on the cross. And man, that, that right there fuels and energizes my worship. And I'm praying, I'm praying that it will be the same for our church. It's my hope. my hope. And I guess I'll just leave us with this question. What is energizing? What is fueling your faith today? Are you something and somebody who just needs the new, the latest, greatest teachings, self-help, you know, and how you can improve your finances and improve your relational statuses and, and how you can get better careers, better jobs, money in the, in, in, in the mail. Are you there? Is that kind of stuff exciting you? Are, are, are you the kind of Christian that still can get jacked and messed up on the simplicity of the gospel? You don't need something new. You don't need a new word. You have an eternal word and it is able to keep you until the eternal one comes back again. And I want that faith. I'm grateful for all the rest. But they don't satisfy. 
They don't fill that need inside of my soul uh, for, for satisfaction. They don't energize my faith. They get me excited sometimes just temporarily. I need something that keeps me uh, uh, excited and locked in and serving and loving Christ intensely like this woman. And for me, it is only just recapping and rethinking about how many sins have been forgiven How many times I felt, God, surely you're not going to look over this. You're not going to forgive this. You're not going to do that. But he has. He has. And man, that just wrecks me. The cross just wrecks me. And I'm praying that it will wreck us as a community. Let's pray. Father, I have done my best to model But I believe your spirit is speaking to us as a church, even though, Lord, I did not prepare for such. I've done my best to articulate, God, what I feel like you've spoken to me in prayer. And God, I'm sure there are many voids. There's still clarity that needs to come. And so, God, I trust you for that. I, I trust you that as I have just been faithful to throw the seed. God, I I pray, Lord, that throughout the week you would water it, God, that that, that you would help us grow in understanding, God, and the places where we fall short to clearly articulate and clearly speak your word. Father, I pray that your spirit would make up for that lack in Jesus' name. God, we know that that the things that I'm saying can only come by your spirit. They can't come by me shouting and, and yelling at people, God. They can't, uh, God, they can only be done and created and, and, and brought to fruition by the spirit of God. And so, Lord, we invite the Holy Spirit to do such in all of our lives, from, from leaders to members to visitors, God. We, we trust the spirit of God to... Uh, bring into maturity, God, and, and into fullness, Lord, the things that have been spoken, God. Places where there's still a lack of clarity, God, we're trusting that the Spirit would clear. Oh, God, I pray that today you would arrest our hearts with a vision of the cross like we've never had before in our lives, no longer how long or how short we've been walking with you. Father, we pray that once again our hearts would be fully captured by the simplicity of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, Jesus' betrayal, Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. God, bring us back to the simplicity of this gospel, this good news. Help us to preach it. Help us to proclaim it, God, that others would put their faith in you and be proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't need something new, God. We need to be reminded of something old. Remind us today about how precious our salvation is, of how precious forgiveness is, of how precious atonement in the cross is. Remind us so that our celebration of the resurrected Christ would be meaningful. In Jesus' name we pray.
these things. 